Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello, and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you as usual to another episode. Now, today I'm really excited to bring you somebody who it's an absolute pleasure to sit with. Um, I'm actually sitting in his office. I'm sitting in his his pretty new building. I'm surrounded by, and I'll tell you, I feel really at home. I'm surrounded by autographed photographs, framed shirts, a library of coaching materials, and it feels really at home. And I'm sitting with a gentleman called Martin Irvin. Now, for those of you who don't know, Martin is the owner of PCT Coaching. He is a coach developer at the English FA. Um, Just as a little kind of touch and vision into his previous CV, he's been, uh, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, he's been a professional development phase coach at Witten Albion, a first team coach at Kids Grove Athletic, youth development phase coach at Port Vale, at Walsall Football Club, he's also worked at Stoke City, Crew Alexandra, Warrington Town and... I believe he was an engineer in the British Army as well. If there's anything we've missed out, I'm sure he'll put us right. But And if there's anything that's not correct, Martin, please correct me. But welcome along to Leader Manager Coach. Thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you. Martin Irvin. So, Martin, first of all, this is my first time at your venue. Um, I want to go into your story a little bit, but, but just tell us about PCT coaching because we're sitting here in a, in a, in a lovely venue We've just looked at the surface, your playing surface. We've talked about your coaching, um, you know, and we want to know more. I certainly want to know more about PCT coaching because um, it's something I think, you know, we need to share. So fire away, bud. Thank you. Um, PCT coaching was sort of born out of um, quite randomness, to be honest with you. So whilst I was working at Crew Ladies, I was asked if I did any positional stuff uh, individually. And at the time, um, the answer was no, um, I wasn't. Um, and then, you know, there was a bit of demand for for that. And from that, I sort of started to do little one-to-one stuff, position-specific practices. And yeah. then um, the, the brainchild actually came from when I was working for a, a sports coaching company. And we were asked to do a, a community hour as part of our contract, which would be free. You know, we would give back to the community. And uh, at that session, I was, I was given some money by the coach um, and I thought that was for the session. Um, it was only when I went into the office the next day they said, "Have you got that that money?" Um, so I asked the question. Then you know, where, where's that come from? Um, you know, I thought what we did for free. They're like, "No, that's what we charge for you having a B license and you you doing your your coaching." And I thought, well, I'd rather work for myself than than somebody else. So we that's where it sort of started. Um, that was back in two thousand and nineteen, two thousand twenty. And we started off like you know most do at a local park because it was free and you know I can remember the first month or so I'd offered out like nine till twelve and nobody arrived nobody turned up nobody booked in and about to probably jack it in if I'm honest and then the following week I had nine till ten 
and then the week after it became nine till right. eleven, and then it became within the space of a month nine till three, and demand just started to to keep creeping up. Obviously, with being outside, you've got the weather, um, and I always had this dream of having an indoor facility where we could do what we were doing, the positional, uh, sorry, the positional stuff and um, the personal technique stuff. Mm-hmm to be indoors so you're never getting a session cancelled and um, I think we alluded to prior to recording this I was in a job that I probably didn't like in a sales job and um, decided to, to make a break for it and take PCT serious and a week later we went into the, the lockdown due to coronavirus and you know that was quite a, yeah, a, yeah. a worrying time with no income coming in but like with everything you, you get through it but what we've got here now is and again, we, we said this off off air was a six work, six years worth of, of graft and frustration and disappointment and failure, but lots of learning, lots of lessons, and you know, hopefully now we've got something that I know we're we're proud of it. I'm certainly proud of it, and hopefully the local area and the people that come and you know trust us with their development are proud of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So this particular venue that we're in now, Martin, um, you said to me that this is not where you've always been so this is new how, how new is it in terms of for pct so in, in terms of our doors opening we've been in here um three weeks i think it's our third week. that's brand new in it so yeah, yeah. You can, when you come in now you can still smell um the, the grass that's how new the, the venue is and um you know like the, just the newness of some of the paint that's still lingers in the air and uh, the banners that are freshly printed but we were at a previous venue um it was upstairs um, did I think that we were going to last two years in a venue upstairs playing football three, four hours a night? No. Um, and even that, that was a jump. So, you know, looking at the, the rent and the, the expenditures and the overheads there, you're thinking, is this going to work? You know, again, we were having two hours a night. And, you know, you, as you know, being a coach, we always we fill our schedule with, with other jobs and other roles. Um, and then it started to build to a position where, a decision had to be made. Do do we continue to follow these roles in, in academies or you know with non-league clubs, or do we just settle down and and drive forward PCT? Um, which you know at the time it was a very brave decision to do that, and thankfully you know it's it's paid off dividends because we we're just incredibly incredibly busy at the minute. It's great. So can I just touch on that and bring that point out about that decision because. One of the things I'm passionate about, one of the things that I know the listeners to the podcast are passionate about, and I think probably you are as well, is that courage, that bravery, that decision, because we all know in life, people who, listen, talk's cheap, isn't it? It's, we can all talk about doing this, doing that, doing the other, but actually doing it is a completely different different thing. So just can can I ask you to open up a little bit about that decision where, and was there a time when you when you had sleepless nights? Was it something that you did easily because of the situation? Were you forced into it, if that's the right word? Or and was it something that you doubted would ever be worth it? And, and just just share that a little bit. I think if, if I go right back to when we, we took the initial lease out on the on the first building, that was like you say, talk is cheap. We were telling people we want our own facility, we want this, and then. You know, it was through a good friend of mine, Wayne, who who turned around and said, "Just do it. What's the worst that can happen? You know, the least that you've got is two years. The worst that can happen is that you'll be out of pocket this amount, 
if it doesn't work, you know, and you have to pay up to the end of the lease and, you know, you look at it and think, all right, that could be affordable. But then I think going back to what we mentioned before, it's being happy. You can be in a job and not be happy. And, you know, at the time, and, and I will, I'm going off on a tangent here, I'm going back further. My first ever job was at, at Maxfield Town um, before, obviously, Rob, Rob Smethers come in. And the club wasn't in the best of places financially. Um, and, you know, it was it was a dream job for me. I was a um, youth engagement officer, helped building the fan base and grow the community. And then, you know, I was tasked by the chairman, funnily enough, a month a month before what the season would start to go and form an under-18s team. I was like, brilliant, yeah, we'll, we'll get the pull. Um, I asked what funding I'd got, and he said none. <laughs> um, so trying to set up a team without any funding was was difficult, but there was some wonderful people in around the club who, who kindly supported us in terms of sponsorship and getting kits. Um, and the under-18s were formed, um, and that was all within sort of the first month of being there. In fact, my... my f- first weekend of work at Maxfield was in the FA Trophy final you know and what a wonderful opportunity that was to go to Wembley and mm. see the team mm. there and be around the club at a time of, of good positivity and you know the job that John Askey had done mm. not just then but the season after was superb but it, it sort of hid away the, the stuff away from the club and you know the first month was fine we got paid on time and then after that we weren't paid on time and you know you're starting to think where's my yeah, wage coming yeah, from yeah. Um, and, I, and I'll be open and honest the stress of it was was incredible um, I can remember some days I didn't have any money to fill and trying bank. to explain to your wife the why you hadn't got any money in there well I, d- I didn't this was the this was the thing I didn't explain anything so I didn't tell her you know some days I was having to, when, I, when I knew I didn't have to go in about in the community and I was at the stadium all day I would drive halfway three quarters of the way there to save on fuel and walk the rest and that's the thing that people don't see. Um, Seriously, just to save on fuel because I didn't have money in the bank to go and pay for it because we weren't paid on time at certain times. And I think <laughs> it, it all came to a head really where um, I, I, this sounds daft, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but um, I had to wash the kit myself. Um, so on, you know, on a Sunday, I'd, I'd look to go in and pre-soak the kit if we were playing because we were playing at Mary Denby Plainfields, which was. No disrespect to it, no better than a farmer's field as such. Mm. You know, we were wearing white shorts, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. And then, you know, all of a sudden I was told I can't use the washing facilities on a Sunday or a Monday because of the first wow. team. And so then you're thinking, well, you're taking the kit home and washing it. And then your wife's going, why are you bringing this home? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then just things started to just transpire in the club. And, you know, we, we weren't allowed to, to be in certain areas of the, the, the ground at the same time as the first team. And I always remember. Um, we used to bring in a team of the week. So it'd be a team that would come in, meet the players. As they arrived, they're going into Rory's Den, they meet the mascot. You know, Rory's Den again was something that we put up for the fans yeah. with no funding. Um, and I have to give a shout out to, to Jason Spiral because he, he kitted the whole place out for, for nothing. And it must have cost him a fortune, to be fair. Um, and then one week, you know, we were getting the, the players to chant names of the players that were coming in and next thing you know the players didn't come over and sign the autographs and then you're asking so I asked the players you know why are you coming mm. over they were then told by the gaffer not to come speak to us pre-game which then affects your job and you're thinking well, I'm supposed to yeah, do a yeah, job yeah, with yeah. these restrictions and you know it comes to a point where I was defaulting on my mortgage my wife was six months pregnant at the time 
how do you tell your wife that as a man and a husband you're not bringing yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was hard and it got to a point where I said to her look I'm going to have to come away she'd ask why and I told her why um, and then fortunately again a, a friend got me a, a gig at Warrington Town with their um, education programme which was a lifesaver and what a job that was by the way um, I was very fortunate to work with about 30 players, 32 players every day, you know, with the German Chryso team, which was split into first and second years, because it was 16 yeah. to 18 program. And, you know, we trained at Warrington Town, um, had a wonderful relationship with the chairman who supported us in everything we did. And the contrast was completely different. Um, we actually went on and had a very successful season that yeah. year. And then the decision came a week before our grand final that they were no longer going to stick with the um, it was the NPLFA at the time Northern mm-hmm. Premier League Football Academy and they were going to bring in Robbie Fowler's Academy and let's be honest at the time even now you know if you were to ask anyone who I am you wouldn't have a clue but if you ask who Robbie Fowler is you can have that pull yeah, yeah. Um, so a week before the grand final after right. having won the league and not been yeah, yeah. beaten I was out of a job um, <laughs> well, we went on football. to win the grand final <laughs> in what was the most wonderful game we were we were two one down with five minutes to go. Yeah. Um, we scored a wonderful goal, which I think has gone out online. I think it was from the keeper to the goal was nine passes. The opposite didn't touch the ball. And then last minute we win a free kick on the halfway line, and he's going straight to penalties. And you're thinking one last throw of the dice, and fortunately we got a knockdown and, and won it in the very last right. minute, the really? kick of the game. And then you go from being really, really, you know, ecstatic and happy, and then all of a sudden you're out of a job. Um, yeah. And that's that's the harsh reality of football. I think is you can experience yeah, yeah. those wonderful highs, but then in the next breath you're on, you're yeah, on yeah. low again. Um, and I'm wondering, just pass my B license. When am I going to get a job now? I've not got any experience. Uh, and again, I was fortunate enough then to step into a coaching role with with Port Vale in the academy, which is obviously where we met. And then also at ASM Sports, which was delivering a PE provision, yeah. Key Stage One, and Key Stage Two, and. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I, and I said this to, to Alex, the guy who runs it at the time, he pretty much saved my life at that time because going back even further through the stresses of Mac and everything else, I grew, I grew up in the army, I, I joined the army at 16 and you know, you're know you in a, a situation where you know what you're doing, where you're doing it, what mm. kit you've got to wear. Yeah, structured. Yeah, very structured. And then you come out into this weird and wonderful world of civilian street and it's... It's a mess. Um, did you ever? Did you remember? If you look back, and I'm kind of alluding to the fact that I've heard this before, um, how difficult it is to realign yourself when you've had discipline, structure, demands, excellence. If if, if I can use those words, and then you come out and it's like chaos, chaotic. I was going to use the word chaotic, not to be disrespectful, but in terms of comparison. It's like, oh my days, this is such a difficult environment to work with and there's no respect like there is in the army and there's no, uh, the rules of engagement are different. Aren't 100%. You go from, like I joined a month after leaving high school, so you go in at 16 and everything's, like you say, very regimented. You could be here at this time, wear this kit, everything's laid out in your lockers, you know, ironed, pressed, you've got your beds made and then, you know, you're talking about then you go on into training and everything. So you speak about excellence, and it is. And and I think this can be alluded to football as well as the army. You always drop down to the level of your training, 
Um, and I think that's why the British Army is known as the best in the world because of the level of training. So you then come out, um, and you know, I'd, so just to talk you through the process, I, I was out in Afghanistan um, and they were doing the next round of redundancies. Um, bear in mind, I've been married less than six weeks before I deployed. Um, I was one of the first ones that went out on what was called the pre-advance party. And I can remember sitting there thinking, back here again um, yeah, yeah you know where what's the career plan I've just been married and then you always have those little thoughts the people that were you know being killed at the time were always freshly married or just had a baby or mm. expecting to be married and you're thinking oh this is my third one this is the third time away are we going to be am I going to be that number and then halfway through they were announcing obviously we're done the season you could you could apply so I thought Do you know what I'm 27 you know, I could, I could get. So you did eleven years. I could start again. By the time I got out, I'd done twelve. Mm. So I thought this was in was around October, November time of two thousand twelve, and I thought, Do you know what? Let's apply. Let's see what goes on. Um, and we, we returned home on April the sixth. Um, we had a month's leave. I went back in, and then on the seventeenth of June, was told that you know my application for redundancy was was done. And the the regiment I was serving with at the time, they would they were amalgamating. So they were forming with another unit. So um, the Queen's Royal Lancers were forming with, I think, the 16th, 5th Lancers, uh, or the 9th, 12th Lancers. I, I, can't, I can't remember at the minute, but they were forming. So anybody who was made redundant or taken redundancy were to not be there. So I can I remember going back to me, to the, the workshop office, and my, my sergeant turned around and said, uh, what are you doing? So I'm in work. He, he says, you've just been, you've just got redundancy, mate. Uh, go home. So from our last official day was the 17th of December. Um, from the 17th of June, I was on paid leave effectively. And you know, you get used to having that time. As I say, my wife was pregnant with our first child at the time, you know, and you get used to it. And then all of a sudden you have to go through job interviews. Nobody had yeah. told me for the last 12 years how to, to sit an interview. Nobody had told me how to do a CV, a cover letter. Um, I say I ended up getting a job at, at QuickFit and working in a service centre and we go back to excellence and the excellence that you see in the army of structure and you get mm. certain ways of, mm. of processes and everything's in certain areas and everything's accounted for it just and I, this isn't disrespectful to quick fit but I would I would say that going from um, that structure to something that was so almost flexible was hard mm. yeah. because then you're trying to implement and you know and I'll, I'll touch on this hopefully later on but you then you then speaking to people who haven't had that structure and those standards that if you've you've been drove into and your ways of the world and you're struggling and they're looking at you like who are you and what, what are you on about <laughs> I, I can always remember like I had a wonderful wonderful group of men that worked with me uh, on Herrick 17 which was the last tour in Afghan and you know if, if a job came in you'd say right lads come on let's get it done let's crack on and they'd do it and then you'd pay them back and you'd be like right mm got a bit of downtime, go, go check your emails, go have a shower, go to the gym, because you never know when we might mm. be working through again. And, and I always remember a gentleman, a disabled gentleman came in, and um, I was like, right, excellent customer service, excellent customer service. And I asked the lad through the back, a young lad, can you check his tyres? You know, he's come for his mm. health check, he went, I'm on my break. I went, no, I appreciate that, mate, I, Just... I, I really do. Can you sort him out, and then I'll double your break? He says, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, I'm not asking you now, as your manager, I'm telling you, he went, nah, mate, I'm going home. 
and he walked off and walked home and I thought how how can that be right yeah. you know yeah. we, we were there to provide a service yeah. and yeah. you know we weren't so that, that frustrated me a lot um, and obviously I was in a, in a decent position in terms of, of rank in the army and then like the way certain people talk to you at times and I thought I don't like that so I ended up leaving and working nights again to provide for the family and I working nights as a truck fitter and just as I was coming in to go to bed my daughter and my wife are getting up they're having to walk around on eggshells because you yeah getting you're sleep, sleep in day. yeah and listen nights just didn't didn't work with me um and then you go back I ended up working as a service um technician for for a company called Staffs Fitness working on gym equipment and repairing that and that was brilliant I absolutely loved the job but again some of the processes weren't what I would want you know in terms of like spare parts and I'm like you're sending me to a job in London and I'll come back and then the next day you're sending me to Kent like I've got to stay surely there surely with a bit of planning yeah with a bit of planning here's your parts here's what's needed do both jobs so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know and that started to take its toll because you know through little bits you weren't allowed to have the van at your home address overnight so most times like those two two um, I spoke about about London and Kent I'm driving past my house to go and drop the van off to come back which is then an extra hour on the journey and then the next day you're up at 6 go and get it yeah. and you just think is this what I want and you know I think I ended up going to uh, Matrix oh sorry Johnson Health Tech and then ended up working there and ended up being a service centre manager working with like sort of 8 engineers and it was brilliant and the company were great but my passion was always was always football. Are you struggling to find that extra edge to help you stand out above the crowd? Separating yourself from the rest is often about personal leadership. Achieve your true potential and become who you really can be. The Leader Manager Coach Pro Course is a unique membership accessing the knowledge and wisdom from history's greats that will help you develop both personally and professionally to make you truly stand out. The Leader Manager Coach Pro course. Access now at patreon.com leader manager coach. So you'd got all this enormous amount of, which I didn't know about, uh, enormous amount of life experience, Martin, which is so undervalued in life, so, so undervalued. So you've got all this, you know, you've actually, you, have, you haven't just been in the army and done some basic training, you've given it 12 years, a decade plus of your life and worked your way up and kind of ingrained yourself in that and come out readjusted you know not sat there thinking what shall I do but you've got a family you've got demands you've got that you've tried working at night you know you've gone back into an industry uh, in terms of the uh, the, the the fitness equipment and, and, and the, the the mechanical side of the, the the automobile industry you know so crikey mate you know it, it demonstrates a willingness to engage with life and do what's necessary and Yet underneath it all, as you're getting to, you had this football thing going on, like a lot of people do. Yeah. So, go on, how did that kind of... So, again, that was probably born out of frustration as well. Um, you know, on, on a weekend I was playing at Staffs County level, you know, nothing spectacular, sort of step six. Yeah. The football we played wasn't how I wanted it or how I wanted to be part of. You know, it was back to front very quickly. I, I played as a midfielder. Um, not very well but, but you know well it's good, yeah. I wanted to get on, on the ball and I wanted to play and be involved in the game and I ended up with neck ache and and I said to the gaffer one day I just said I said this is this is awful this is terrible football 
like um, I want to play I want to get on the ball and he went well if you want to dictate how we play go and get qualified um, and we had a bit of a barney I'll be honest you know we, we clashed and I said to him right okay well yeah yeah I will <laughs> and you know here I am what 12 years later got your having, badges yeah drove into it and, and immersed myself fully because you know I think we all do as coaches we have a certain way that we want to play and that wasn't how I wanted it to be played it so let's there's a time to play yeah a longer ball isn't there but so let's just go so so here you are you've got your uh, A licence yeah A licence so you've been through your B licence your A licence and listen they ain't no no easy things to get you've got your advanced youth award as well that's correct yeah, yeah. fantastic so and elite youth licence well, didn't even know that. So, um, fantastic. So, listen, having been through that process myself, some of those processes, I'm under no illusions about how, how much time it takes, how much money it takes, and, and how much you invest in that. So, you know, blimey, Martin, you know, even taking away this PCT and, and the facility you've got here, what you've created in your life, and together with a family, mate, you know, anybody who understands life will understand how much you've invested and it is it's commendable um so you've bought all this to pct coaching yeah that that's what you you've bought so you know you've talked a little bit about the decision when you started pct coaching and all this so yeah i went off on a massive tangent there. yeah yeah you did but i just want to make sure that because i want your story which is you know so we've got this lovely story of your 16 years of age, going into the army, immersing yourself in that. I mean, you know, even that on its own, life and death experiences, which people who don't go into the military don't don't have to do. Coming out, adjusting, and there's so much in football about people leaving football and how stressful it is when you come out into into a you're in a niche industry and then you come out. It we also aware of all the challenges that that uh, people who've been in the forces face when they have to come out into yeah. into Civvy Street. Um, and I'm looking, sitting opposite somebody who's been through that, um, and you've you've put all this stuff in, into your qualifications, and, and you've you've talked about your Warsaw experience, you've talked about your Warrington experience, you've talked about your your, your Port Vale experience, and and how your kind of thought processes came to PCT coaching. Yeah, so um, what is it you want to achieve with your PCT coaching? What what's your dream? Any vision? Um, this sounds like really cheesy, and I, it's not. It's not me trying to hide from the fact, and we'll go into more detail. But I want to be happy, um, and at other clubs. And I don't know. We spoke off air. Is that I've not been happy. Um, I would like to think, being probably from an engineering background, I've got quite a different type of brain in the way that I see things and want things to work. And you know, I like being challenged, and I like challenging um, others. And there was just things that were coming out. And I didn't quite believe in, and I thought, you know, we're I'm being asked to train a player at a, a position that he's never played all his life, yeah, yeah. and then in a formation that doesn't have his position, you know, <laughs> right. So, you know, and and it was on the advanced youth award that, that that came to fruition because, you know, you're working on the psych side with Philip and McGregor, what a wonderful woman she is, by the way, completely changed my way of thinking on the psych side, and you know, this player's going through adolescence. And you're putting him from centre midway, he's played all his life, to a right back. And the player breaks down in the session, and, you know, I apologise for, for the language, but he, this 12-year-old turned around and went, how the fuck am I supposed to play right back when we don't play right back in our formation? And it was at that moment I went, 
you've got a point. You've got a hundred percent got a point. This isn't about the club. This is about you. Like, what are we doing to this young man? And you know, obviously, we we, we had to try and play him at right centre back, and then you know, as a right winger to incorporate the attacking side yeah. of the game, and then you know, we went into eleven v eleven at thirteens onwards. And you know, it's those conversations you have with with the heads of sheds, and you're saying, what are we doing to these kids? You know, because ultimately they are kids. Mm. You know, it's a case of just do as you're told. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done twelve years in the army. We've been told what yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I wanted to be that little bit expressive, and and I think from from what we're trying to do at PCT is, can we create the ultimate player, and what is the ultimate player? So, so for me, can we get a player that can twist and turn and move both ways, that they can change direction at speed, that they can manipulate the ball with both feet, play off both sides, not because they have to, but just because they can, because the game never really dictates that. You're always going to use your favourite side. So can they be efficient to use both feet? Have they got a plethora of um, tools in terms of skill execution to, to escape and evade? Are they able to to make good decisions? Because you know I think some of the world's best players are the best decision makers. Yeah. Um, can we get players making those decisions? You know, I, I've got a lad in at the minute who, you know, his club have told him he's he's not making the right decisions. You know, and I'm asking the question. Are you being put in decision making practices? And he's like, well, no. I'm like, how are we? Yeah, yeah. How are we creating decision makers if you're not putting them in that situation? So, you know, what what we try and do is, and it's all personalised. We ask the players and the parents more so what they want. Um, you know, we have older lads who play semi pro and professional who, who just want to come in and get touches on the ball and refine that technique. And and you'll find them coming in here passing against the wall. Um, yeah. For that excellence. Yeah. You know, and the. I look at some some players and the, the drive to be better is is unbelievable. So you've got this enormous uh, chunk of of your philosophy that that's creating technically excellent players, good ball manipulation skills, can be masters of the ball. You know, let, let's just take the ultimate example. You look at you know uh, Maradona and say, you know what, has there ever been anybody who's who's a better ball manipulator than him? You know, it's easy to talk about great plays like that, but technical excellence is a is a is a thing for you, yeah. Hundred percent. So, part of your philosophy here is to enable players to to develop those uh, those skills, yeah. I think, like with what we do, is we do do a lot of repetition in terms of yeah. skill execution and yeah. practices, because you know we've got a little saying in here is that practice makes permanent. You know, and if you look at like the cognitive side of it and the central nervous system, the more that you repeat an action you will get the myelin across the nerve endings mm. and it becomes a stronger bond the issue that these young players have is when they grow now that that pathway will then be broken and most people will go oh it looks like bambi or yeah go, god two weeks ago you were yeah. you were doing this well he might have grown two inches or she might be a little bit taller than they were last time so we have to build that permanency in, in terms of what they do and their actions and we've seen it here we've We've seen players who are absolutely flying, and then all of a sudden they come in, and their brain's heavy, and their head's heavy, and, and it's forming those new connections in the brain at a bigger mm. sort of height and physicality. So everything that we do is is based around the player being able to twist and turn off both sides, execute skills, and you know ball mastery with both sides, and just be comfortable on the ball. You know, and I think I'd probably pose this and hopefully invoke a bit of curiosity with with the listeners. Is, who was the last England player that got you off the edge of your seat? Mm. 
you know, and, and fortunately there's a picture of him behind you, but I would say Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. You know, he is the last player that when he got on the ball, spectators and, you know, viewers got excited and like, oh, something magic's going to happen. Between Gascoigne and probably, you know, you look at Phil Foden now and, you know, we've got Bellingham who is causing a lot of excitement. We haven't really had that. Mm. And are we creating enough players that mm. are are brave enough to make decisions and, and risk failing? Because, you know, another word that we say in here is that failing's okay. Mm. If you fail in here, there's a reason why you're here because you want to get better. And you will fail many, many, many times before you succeed. And I think it's that mindset that we try and put into the players is that, you know, if, you know, I think there was a stat, wasn't there? A crazy stat, something like it. these two instances. I think Lukaku had 11 shots once in a game and none hit the target. Mm. You know, so if, you know, little, little Cavu comes in here and, um, misses the target on his first go. Does it matter? Is it the end of the world? Well, well no, because he's got you got guys on hundreds of thousand pounds a week who, mm. who who aren't. So mm. you know, as long as we're putting that permanency, as I keep saying, that repetition that we, we've all heard of the ten thousand hour rule. Mm. I'm not saying that we have the players in for ten thousand hours, but if we can get them having that repetition, that constant reminder of, of executing skills and proficiency then you know we're going to put them back into the clubs in a good state and you know we, we're very fortunate that we've got a good relationship with the parents who they get their reviews from their clubs now and go this is the review this is what the club want can you get us there and we go absolutely because we put the individual first so you've talked about decision making you've talked about failure and you've brought out some great points about that you've only got to look at the the stats for the greatest baseball player that Babe Ruth of like, you know, I don't really understand baseball apart from the basics, but if you try and strike the ball and you miss it, you know, they call it a hit out, I think, or a strike or something. And it's like, he's got, yes, he's got the most home runs, but he's also got the most times. He's the player who's hit out, who's lost the most as well. He's failed the most. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player, missed more free shots than than most of other players because he's prepared to, to fail you know Absolutely. Um, and that aligns quite well with like your story doesn't it really with what you're saying about coming out of the army and then having to fail your way to get a job almost because you haven't got any clue about how to uh, how to do the stuff and then the, all the clubs you've been at and uh, create this with no money and you know the, the failure the other thing like you say with, with that and I, and I will go back to you know, I had a job interview for a role at a club I was with at the time, and you know, I thought I carried myself really well. I ticked all the the, the boxes, um, and I didn't get the job. And it took you know three months before I got any feedback, even though I was seeing this person almost weekly. Uh, and it boiled down during an argument that um, on the touchline, believe it or not, um, was that I didn't answer one of the questions correctly. So. You know, I asked for a reminder, and the question was, and this will always stick with me. It said, "What experience have you got of managing people?" And straight, I got excited at that point. I was oh, brilliant. I've worked at Quick Fit, yeah, yeah, service yeah. centre. I've been a service centre for, for engineers for twelve engineers. Um, I was in a war zone with ten. Yeah, men. I had to lead them, um, yeah. And and I thought that's brilliant. Um, and you know, the guy at the time said you didn't refer it to football, and I said, "Well, you didn't ask me that question." And that's the the clarity of. You know, if you'd have said what experience you've got managing people in football, I could have said I've ran a grassroots team from one team to thirty-four. We've won awards for being a great provider. I've dealt with nearly seven hundred parents on a daily basis. That would be managing people, coaches. But 
again I wasn't asked that question and I felt I think again we spoke off air I felt really hard done by because it wasn't honest yeah, yeah. Um, and you know I don't think you will get a lot of time honesty in, in, in the industry and and I go back even further getting out of the army you know I thought I was going to walk into a job straight away because as you because your skill set yeah the life skills you know yeah. I've, I've got a life experience, experience that yeah. not many yeah. have and then it's almost like people don't care so what so what you're no respect yeah. yeah yeah no and you you know and then you think oh, really how am I supposed to get a job <laughs> yeah, yeah you know oh you haven't been in the football industry it's the old cliche of you haven't got any experience I'm like yeah, because I was 12 years away in the army I'm not going to have the experience and the knowledge and I can remember going again going for a job at non-league club step five they said you know there's no doubt you can coach but what we worry about is do you know any players and I went I'm going to let you in on a little secret here I can make the players that you've got better and like no you need to yeah, yeah, you need to know no, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like oh, okay you know and, and, and you just sometimes you're fighting with it and that's why you know I, I'm probably quite opinionated and you know I this stuff I believe in and I believe that we should be getting young players technically excellent mm -hmm. um, and we should support the journey because it is a journey and, and you know it's getting younger and younger now you're seeing like under five squads and under six squads and you know these guys are barely out of nappies and under trying to win games of football and, it, and I do think it can be bonkers at times so yes I have an idea of how a team might want to play however I do think that what we do is make people better mm. and we will never ever promote and say we will get you this opportunity we will get you that but what we will promise is that you will, you will get better technically mm. yeah, physically yeah. And, and psychologically you will you will get better because yeah. of the experience that, that I have and you know the wonderful staff that I have around me have. yeah no it, it, it's good I mean just on on that and we, we know that I think if the industry had its way they'd probably have kids who before they could even walk that's how that's how desperate they are to get what they think is talent mm -hmm. and I've got my own as you probably have Martin my own views on that and as, as somebody who's who's been involved in physical development uh, from kids through, through to adults I, I think you can I'm not saying it's wrong to get players involved with the ball but the, the basic fundamental physical attributes of balance movement coordination creating happy, confident, physically able kids, boys or girls, comes from, you know, you can give them a football and say, go and play football, but they need to trampoline, they need to climb a tree, they, they, they need to do to, to do wrestling, they, they, they need to play with the dads or the mums or the, or, or, and, and with the mates and, and not, you know, putting them in a team with a strip and a tracksuit and, 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 a, and a club bag at, at age... You know, stupid ages. Uh, I'm not sure that's the, an the answer, Martin. And, and you know? I think again with societal issues, and, and I'm sure this could be another completely another episode. But you know, you alluded to there, climbing trees, hedge hopping. You know, our old P lessons used to be climbing frames, and you'd go up the benches, and they'd be now because of health and safety and and just societal issues, kids are not playing now. Like we speak about awareness. I was, I was having this conversation yesterday, but we speak about awareness and football. How did you used to build awareness when you were playing in the streets? It'd be caught. You know, dog, dog, <laughs> and you'd you'd always then yeah, that yeah. would be your natural surroundings. Like we we've just run a tech camp recently, and we we finished off um, with a bit of Wembley, 
and the Wembley. kids I loved it. it. What's Wembley? You know, we played <laughs> Wembley singles and Wembley doubles. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the way we use it, if you scored as a single, you went onto the other side and you had to communicate and find a partner. If you'd left the other side as a partner, you had to go and fight on your own. And, you know, we that's what we used to do growing up, but because of societal issues and things aren't safe anymore, and you know, know. we've become very protective of, of, of the children, and rightly so. And, and I look at PE as well. You know, I, you know, I don't want to go on down a rabbit hole here, but you look at, I look at some of the PE lessons that, that my daughter's having, and it's like throw a beanbag, clap once, catch. But are we getting them to hinge? Are we getting them to turn? Are we getting them to bend? Are we getting them to twist? The answer is no. Like we we have a little laugh in here sometimes now, as if oh, if you if you miss this effort, you've got to do a forward roll. I'm like what? What's that? And we'll say do a roller poly. They're like, what's a roller poly? And you're like, really? Am I showing my age, or is that something that kids aren't doing anymore? They're not knowing how it is, and we have a really good laugh, like the parents and the coaches that you're looking at these kids trying to do do one, and then we have to show one as an example, and and you think why is that not being taught as a fundamental? I know, absolutely movement, absolutely um, fundamental movement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think fundamental movement skills in, in kids at the minute are on the decline because of social media, because of Xboxes, and and we can always tell. Look, we can always tell when a player's been off school or been at home or had a day on the Xbox because the brain is absolutely frazzled mm. and it doesn't work as much as we would like it to. And again, that that's but is that where society's going? Yeah. Everything's coming off the technology, and you as a coach have to adapt to that all the mm. time. And, and I think ultimately you have to understand the player, the background, and what they do. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've—I'll be honest—we've sent lads away from here where they've come in, and you know, when you're like, okay. What have you been up to? I've had this this day. I've had this day, and I, and we've said we're not coaching you. Not today. Go home and rest. Yeah. You know, and the parents yeah. look at you sometimes like you like what? What? Yeah. It's like I d- you're not paying us. Yeah, yeah. We're not don't. taking for something that you're not having, but you need to go yeah, rest. Yeah. It's not in your own interest. Yeah. You've played five five That's days honest. in a row. You're not having another session with us. No, go home and rest. There's not many places do that, Martin. Would would actually do that because the money's too it, important. It would be easy to take money, and and again we alluded to this. Offline, don't we? Money comes and goes. You know, you you can always find a way to earn money. If you if you struggle for money, you go and get a delivery job. You go and do something. You go and earn money. You, like we spoke to when I got out of the army. I really, really struggled when I first got out. But if you've got a family, if you've got kids, everything you do, I, I feel is for them. You know, so, so this sounds. I was with a therapist um, just before Christmas, and she said I had to get a hobby. Now, that's hard when, when <laughs> football is your hobby. Um, you know, and I can remember the conversation. What What do you do when you're not at work? Watch football. Okay, what do you do when you go out? Go to a football game. What books do you read? Coaching. <laughs> and, and she's like, you need something to switch off. So I, I have had a little hobby, and I've collected Premier League 23 stickers this year. And, you know, and my wife's like, you put more stickers. But I don't go out, I don't drink. You know, and, and I think, what's spending... Buying 10 packs of stickers for £8 is, is nothing. But now my daughter's like, Dad, you've got loads of swaps. Can I get a sticker book? So then we're now we're now going to sit down tonight oh, after the week and we're going to do mate. stickers together. But that is my, my yes. hobby. You know, spending time with, with my kids. And, and I think like anyone listening, all I would say, like, and this is probably a personal touch now, is that if you feel that you're struggling, just remember your why. Like I, I've come in here and you, you, know, you can see the size of the place and the work that's gone into it. And there's been times of coming in at one o'clock in the morning and you're up at seven with the kids and then you're out all day doing it up again. And, and that has been the fact for the last four months. You know, when I get to Sunday delivering module three, 
with the C license, it will have been four months of working every single day. But then you think, why? My why, as I've got two girls at home who absolutely love dancing, and you know they they dance four or five times a week, yeah. and that costs money. You know, and so everything I do is for them. Brilliant. Um, and obviously the kids that we work with, but my my why is, and I think I'm probably going off on a bit of a tangent. No, here, it's so okay. Sorry if it sounds random, but you know I've always sought to be um, appreciated. I think that's the thing. Like in the army, every year you had two reports. You had a report every six months, so you'd have your mid year and then you'd yeah. have your final. And they were telling you, you're doing good at this, you're doing good at that. Can you do this to get better? When you come out in this big bad world, certainly in coaching, you don't really get told what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. So there's always that constant self doubt, that fear that mm. oh, yeah. doing I'm doing right. okay. Yeah. You know, and then you know you see that like, like the people that you've seen that people come in every week. You know, we get like eighty plus players in a week for for private sessions. Mm. We've now grown to four coaches. We're bringing two coaches in. We've got a waiting list of ninety-two people. Mm. Even though you look at that, there's still that self doubt of how am I going to keep everybody happy? You know, when you're replying to messages at seven in the morning, you're up at late at night planning stuff, and you think, why? Well, the why is for me, as I mentioned, my kids. But what would I have wanted? You know, when I when I played between the ages of eleven and fifteen, I was told I wasn't good enough, but I was never told why. Yeah. yeah. And I never really had a chance to to, to get put them things right. Yeah. So if I don't think we should ever tell somebody they're not good enough. I also firmly believe that every single person who wants to play football can get better. They can be taught. Mm. It's it, for me. I might be. I don't know. People might argue this, and and I'm I'm more than welcome to discuss it. But I think through practice, it makes permanent. And you know, we say perfect, and it's a thing I always say to the players in here as well. The only thing that's perfect on this planet is your mother. You know, so it makes it permanent, and we make sure that the players know that. It's okay to fail. It's okay to get it wrong because the pressures that they're under are frightening. So you get quite a few players who are at academies who come here for extra stuff, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And you get older players as well? Yeah, so we get um, academy lads, we get grassroots guys who just want to get better. To move, to move. Yeah, we've had quite a few on. that just want to come and move. Um, get them off the PlayStations and they have these sessions that are fun and active. And we, we're semi pro lads. You know, we've just. Um, we're really proud of uh, John Beaumont and his Congleton team. They've just they were literally seconds away from from, from the, when, FA the FA final, yeah. you know. And then you look at their fixtures, and you know, and and as we speak even now, we speak to John about like resilience and his first penalty for Congleton. He took it too early, um, so the ref made him retake it. So he's in that dilemma: where do I go now? Hmm. And you know, I spoke to him, and he says, you know, I used positive self-talk imagery and just went to the same corner with power. Hmm. And you know you got it, and you see the outburst of emotion. We've worked. We've we've just. I'm not going to say we've just produced, but we've just um, been really proud of our our first international, Mia. She went and scored on a debut for England. Lionesses. Brilliant. And you know, I was, I was very upset. Um, not upset. Very emotional. Because when she scored, she come running over towards me. Wow. You know, and she'd, she'd asked me to go there, and I'm like, there's your mum and dad, go and celebrate with your mum and dad. But she wanted to come to a She's seen yeah. the journey that we've been through, and, and do you know what? I, I'm, I'm devastated for her because she was due to go to the under 17 Euros and she's, she ruptured her ACL the weekend before. And But we'll be there for her and we'll support her and we'll, we'll help her get back to fitness. And I have no doubt she'll go on and make a full international debut. No doubt. Brilliant. So, 
go on then here's a chance for you um we could talk all day mate we, we could and there's people who want to get to you and i know you've got some coaching to to to, to get on with later but why should people put you on the spot here why should people come to pct because i love it here i've only been here for half an hour i love the grass i love the environment i love the building i love what you're doing in here your passion absolutely shines through why should people come to pct because we care because we care um as i think i alluded to earlier it would be very easy for us to go yeah let's take your money let's go you know and, and there has been kids mate, like say just so anybody knows we have got some actual work going on in the building so this is really authentic so let's carry on and get this done mate um, so yeah we, we've got um i lost my train of thought no you, people care and, and oh we yeah. care you know and i have lost sleepless nights when you know i'm thinking why isn't this lad you know getting a connection or he's not lifting the ball you know and i film stuff and i'm like right what's his angles and you know and then suddenly they do it and you're like brilliant brilliant and then you do lose sleepless nights over <laughs> over other people's kids and you but you do it because we do care. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people say, but we really, really do. And, you know, we, we've had players, like we've got Josh who coaches for us, he plays at Alty. Um, and we've got players who can watch and play yeah, yeah. because of that connection they have with him and we treat them first and foremost as people. Wow. And children. Do you know what? That in in everything for me, Martin, says, says it all. Because um, ultimately people just want to know that you care first and foremost and then are you good at what you do and I've got no doubt I can see it I can smell it I, 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 it's here you care and well I know personally because of your because of having worked with you and, and just your CV mate that that you know uh, you don't work for the English FA if you don't know what you're doing mate and you don't develop other coaches mate so Appreciate you know that. what you're doing as well as so that is why people should come to PCT so if you are geographically available in this area or the county or the UK you know so because why wouldn't why wouldn't you travel to get top class uh, input even if it's if it's not that regular um, we'll put on the show notes yeah all, all your details appreciate mate um, thank you very much appreciate that listen Martin I'm going to let you get on with your day and no maybe we maybe we can follow this up but yes listen mate absolutely brilliant thanks for your time pal and um Catch you later. Thanks for having me. Talk about it.